The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Australian-born Ricky McGee lived a life that could be described as anything but dull prior to his disappearance at the age of 35 in 2006. Born in 1971 in Victoria, Ricky would see a lot of moving throughout Australia as a kid and well into his adulthood. About 350 miles west of where he was born, his parents had a dairy farm in the town of Gippsland. This is where he would spend the first five years of life, which he would describe as living in his father's shadow, taking all the farm work he would partake in daily from milking cows to hunting rabbits. He loved everything about it and had a great admiration for his dad. Along with his parents, Ricky had three sisters. Not yet in grade school, Ricky's parents made the decision to leave farm life behind and move to the Melbourne suburb of Sunshine. Despite the town's name, Ricky's father Peter's outlook was not one of optimism. He now worked for a gas company, and not knowing anyone in the region, he started spending more and more time in the pub, drinking heavily in an attempt to socialize. Ricky's mother Wendy confronted him about it, but the short but feisty man of Irish heritage had a bad temper at times, and it led to a lot of heated arguments in the McGee household. After a year of constant verbal fights, Wendy packed the car and moved Ricky and his sisters to a nearby suburb. This crushed Peter, and although he still stayed in contact with his kids and remained close with them, especially to Ricky, the young boy could see the pit of despair his hero was sinking into. Six months after moving with his mother, he'd come back home from school and hear devastating news. His father had been in a fatal car wreck. To deal with the loss, Wendy drove to her parents' house with the family, and it was at this time that Ricky would be hit with the even more brutal reality that there was no car accident. His grandmother matter-of-factly blurted out that Peter had committed suicide. Life came fast for Ricky in that moment with the realization that he was now the man of the house and it was time to grow up and help his mother in any way possible. At the young age of seven, Ricky would assist his mom in daily tasks like making his sister's lunches before the school day. He would even start picking up jobs to help his mother keep a roof over their heads, beginning with a paper route. As Ricky grew older, though, he began to feel a calling that he needed to do anything in his power to protect his mom, especially as she started dating. Ricky felt that some of the men Wendy dated did not have his mom's best interest and he wasn't going to ever let them push her around. Once one of these men started to get violent, Ricky even pulled a knife on the man. The instance led to another move to a new town for the McGee family. 
This move landed Ricky in an all-boys high school where fights at recess were the norm. Ricky would eventually become an adult, get married, move to North Queensland, and work as a shrimp fisherman. He then would start a landscaping business with money he'd saved up. It was probably his intimidating and muscular appearance, however, that would lead him to more nefarious work for extra cash. Ricky would become a bouncer, and being a part of that nightlife scene led to him being introduced to some more shady characters in that world approaching him to become a freelance debt collector. Ricky would state that he would only use violence as a last resort, but it certainly was used nonetheless when necessary. Eventually, the police were on to him, and one day in a McDonald's parking lot, he was stopped by an officer letting Ricky know they were aware of him. The officer told McGee in no uncertain terms that if he continued this line of work, he would either wind up dead or in jail. He then proposed that Ricky join the force as a spy to infiltrate the organizations he was associated with. Ricky didn't like this, however, and since there were no charges to speak of, he knew he could just leave and fled town quietly to begin over again in Perth. Trouble always seemed to follow him, however, and one night out drinking with some guys, he got into a drunken fight. He claimed that it was started by the men he attacked, but the police didn't see it that way. And in more trouble than ever before, Ricky was now doing several months in jail for assault. He seemed to have inherited his father's same problems with alcohol and was paying the price for it. After finally being out of prison, he decided to steer clear of some of the people he met in the nightlife realm approaching him to get back to debt collecting and instead opted to begin his own home improvement business. He would specialize in risky assignments, like constructing balconies over cliff faces that other contractors would deem too dangerous to pursue. The rewards were grand, but the consequences would soon outweigh them. While working on a property overlooking the beautiful beaches of Sydney, Australia, Ricky fell an astounding 23 feet below into rocks, instantly breaking both legs. Between the hospital, rehabilitation, and learning to walk again, it would be a year-long ordeal to fully recover. At one point, doctors were so skeptical of him making a full recovery that a procedure to amputate one of his feet was even discussed after his ankle had withered away. Ricky was determined to get back to living, however, and to move on to yet another new chapter, and he amazed doctors by doing exactly that. All of this backstory on Ricky and what made him into the man he became leads us to the incredible account of where he found himself in early 2006 at the age of 35. Ricky had been in and out of relationships after his marriage at this point, and a lady by the name of Sarah he took interest in knew he had enough of living in Brisbane where he currently was. She suggested he check out Port Headland where she was. It sounded appealing, and to coax him even more, he was offered a government job if he made the move. A nearly 60-hour drive on National Highway 1 of over 3,000 miles would seem like a major decision for most anybody. But Ricky didn't hesitate. 
He packed up the used Mitsubishi Challenger he'd bought with the few belongings he possessed and made the decision to start fresh once again. It is unclear what would happen during the drive since there have been several versions of the events told. We'll start with the most recent recollection of events and circle back to this later on the podcast. Ricky allegedly came across three Aboriginal Australians on the side of the road in need of help. Their car was dead after running out of fuel and they needed to get to a gas station in order to get back on the road. He invited them into his car and Ricky had a few empty beer cans that he felt may be enough to fill up, bring back, and hold them over in order to fully refuel at the same location. He felt dizzy shortly after inviting them in, and only remembered waking up with a massive headache on the passenger side of the vehicle. The car was parked, and as he opened his eyes, he recalled one of the men beating him mercilessly as he drifted off once again. His next memory was waking up in a campground area of the outback with the same men surrounding him. One of them pointed a gun and made threats. Drifting in and out of consciousness, he was sure he'd been drugged, either by drink or by a syringe he'd been stabbed with, possibly during the drive. The scariest part would come next, though, when he was now in a hole that was dug and only waking up to the sound of four Australian dingoes clawing at him. He realized that he'd been literally left for dead, but he was determined to survive. To scare the dingoes off, he threw rocks at them, and it luckily worked. Stripped of all of his clothing besides underwear, he got to his bare feet, and what followed were days of blistering sun as hot as 104 degrees and cold desert nights. With no food or water, in dire need to hydrate, and with little other choice, he'd urinate right into his underwear and wring out the liquid into his mouth. Days continued to go by, and Ricky continued to roam. To his amazement, he would find shelter under some trees and a small pond, not something to be expected in the Australian outback. He jumped in, drank, and took it as a sign to stay and wait things out. Those days would continue to rack up without Ricky having any nourishment, but once again in need to survive, he would find everything from plants, bugs, frogs, lizards, and snakes to get by and keep from starving to death. Ricky would find himself hallucinating and often crying for hours on end, waiting for his life to be taken from him. One thing that kept him from losing what was left of his mind, interestingly enough, was replaying episodes of a favorite show of his, The Simpsons, embedded in his memory. No! He was badly burned by the sun. Even worse, infections would spread throughout his entire body. The once 230-pound muscle-bound Aussie was now a shadow of himself, losing nearly half of his body weight during the ordeal. Days turned to weeks, and beyond the horrible trajectory of the situation, no one was even looking for him. Family members knew he was embarking on a long drive, and they'd often go without hearing from him. So it wasn't until six weeks later they grew concerned and contacted authorities to aid in a search effort. Meanwhile, in the outback, Ricky was staying put and barely able to make the effort to keep moving. 
he was losing all hope, sat down and just listened to the wind. Suddenly, however, he realized what he was hearing now wasn't the wind. It was a vehicle, and it wasn't a hallucination either. They were cattle station workers driving in the area, and they were equally in shock to see this now 105-pound skeleton of a man in their sights. Ricky had lost track of time long ago, but would come to the realization that it was an incredible 71 days he spent alone in the unforgiving climate of the outback. Had it been a hotter time of year, Ricky would likely be dead. On April 5th of 2006, Ricky was rushed to Royal Darwin Hospital, where the medical staff would describe his condition as emaciated but well hydrated. Following his recovery, he bragged, the only thing that works to my advantage is that my name is Ricky McGee and that I can handle more than the others. Although his story of 71 days in the outback was remarkable and indisputable, questions would arise as to how the ordeal came about, as stated earlier on the podcast. Ricky's original story of how he got into this predicament was his car breaking down in the outback with that being the last thing he remembered. Then, after a report by the Washington Post, Ricky responded with differing details that he'd picked up a hitchhiker that he shared some beers with and that the man spiked his drink with something and that after that he blacked out and his car was gone. The account described in this podcast is the most recent one told years later by Ricky McGee in his 2010 memoir, Left for Dead, How I Survived 71 Days in the Outback, with co-author Greg McLean. Although the questions regarding his story mainly stemmed from his own changing accounts, he got very frustrated by those skeptical of his story. The Sydney Morning Herald raised some questions over if McGee was simply looking to make money after his disappearance. ABC News even reported that prior to an interview that aired, Ricky told producers that he'd been offered $15,000 by another station and asked if they could match that number. ABC declined, but got the interview anyway with no payment made to McGee. In his frustration after these allegations, Ricky made the statement that he would be willing to go on live TV and eat frogs in some strange attempt to inexplicably prove his story. In his book, Ricky tries to corroborate his recollection with alleged confirmation by Darwin's police department and medical experts, but the only person on record to comment was Dr. Len Notaris, although his statement doesn't convince the reader of much. The statement reads, quote, I couldn't swear that Ricky's story is true, but I couldn't deny it either, end quote. So why would Ricky change his story multiple times? The answer to this question may actually be answered by Ricky himself in the preface of his own memoir where he wrote, quote, I'd always been one of those blokes ragging on people who found themselves lost in the desert, putting shit on them for being so stupid. Now I was one of those people, end quote. Maybe the original story of his car breaking down was embarrassing to a guy like Ricky, whom one might describe as an alpha male type from his rugged and nomadic history. 
Possibly it just wasn't spicy enough for a tell-all memoir, and co-author Greg McLean wanted him to embellish a little. Nevertheless, Ricky has since gotten back to his bulkier physique and has moved once again, but this time to a whole other continent, and now he resides in Dubai. No matter the circumstances, Ricky proved what the human body and human spirit are capable of in extraordinary circumstances. Many stories you hear on In the Wild involve people lost for days or weeks. Over two months in the outback under these conditions is nothing to dismiss, and is history involving everything from family tragedy, barroom brawls, major injury recovery, and even jail may just be how this Australian folk hero of sorts managed to never lay down and to survive in the wild. Thank you for tuning in to another exciting installment of In the Wild. To hear more captivating stories of real life survival, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Stay prepared because you never know when you may find yourself in the wild. Thank you.